Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Betty Yawson in Doha, Qatar, by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And this week's show is all about the 2022 FIFA World Cup. No wins for Africa in the opening games, but draws for Morocco and Tunisia and a fighting performance from Ghana. So will some of the continent's representatives make it past the group stage? Also, we hear what it's like in Qatar with so many negative stories having been reported. They are just interested in hosting the rest of the world and also putting in a positive image out there. More on that coming up later. Also, we ask why there's so much stoppage time being added at the World Cup and we look at how the VAR is working. So Spain, England and France are among the teams that made impressive starts at the World Cup, while Saudi Arabia caused a massive upset over Argentina and Japan stunned Germany. Uh, So it should be an interesting tournament, but in the opening games there were no wins for the African teams. Uh, Tunisia and Morocco both getting useful goalless draws though. Cameroon losing to Switzerland and now looking like they have very little chance of progressing in a very, very tough group. Uh, Ghana, certainly the most exciting of the African teams so far in their 3-2 loss to Portugal on Thursday. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo with a questionable penalty. Dede Ayou equalising for the Black Stars. Uh, then came two more goals for Portugal. And in the 89th minute, a goal from Osman Bukhari led to a thrilling finish. And Inaki Williams had a chance to score as he stole the ball from Portugal goalkeeper Diogo Costa uh, right at the end but slipped before making his shot. Uh, then Ida, frustrating for Senegal, who were pretty close to getting a draw with the Netherlands, a goalless up to the 84th minute, only to lose 2-0. In the end, a disappointing start for them. Well, it was a disappointing start for the Taranga Lions, no doubt. And uh, generally for Africa, Steve. I mean, the African champions naturally were the first African team to play in Qatar. And the continent was definitely hoping for more. But Steve, majority of it has to be said was a dull match. I mean, no team really showed that clinical prowess and Senegal missing Sadio Mane didn't even manage a shot on target until the 65th minute. Chances, conversion, all of it was so dry on both sides that Van Hal actually risked the fitness of Memphis Depay, who came on as a second-half substitute. And it worked, you know. It worked. That second goal was a rebound of Depay. But with all that said, it seems that Senegal goalkeeper Edward Mendy, well, he just can't catch a break, can he? I mean, his story really does show the fickleness of form in sport that Not too long ago, the world was basically shouting his case to be in the FIFA best. And now from club campaign to international, he can't catch a break. And he definitely had a hand in both goals. And I'm sure that it couldn't have been a worse start for him in a tournament that he was hoping at least would be a turning point for him. 
Yes, are things not going Mendy's way? And Tunisia did really well to get a nil-nil draw with Denmark in an exciting game on Tuesday, giving themselves a chance of getting out of the group. Well, Tunisia were definitely the better team in the first half, at least if you ask me. And uh, I think they actually somewhat surprised Denmark by their aggression at different points of the game. And Steve, what a game it was. That nil-nil scoreline, you know, definitely belying the drama that saw goals ruled out for offside. It saw brilliant saves forced from both goalkeepers. The Carthage Eagles definitely were the underdogs in this. But sure enough, I think they were the team that was responsible for setting the pace of the match. But Steve, it was also interesting to see the turnout, you know, by Tunisia fans, estimated 30,000 fans compared to just under 1,000 for Denmark. I mean, many Tunisians clearly comfortable in a fellow Arabian country, and they really did create that atmosphere. And on a more positive note as well, a bit away from African football even, I mean, it was amazing to see Christian Eriksen back on the pitch for Denmark in his first major international tournament since Euro 2020. I mean, Steve, we all remember that was when he suffered a cardiac arrest on pitch. And who thought that we'd see him back on the pitch roughly two years later and at a World Cup? Yes, yeah, a great comeback for Christian Eriksen. So Tunisia have a game against Australia on Saturday. If they can win there, they're likely to go through to the round of 16. And you can be optimistic maybe about Morocco too. Uh, drawing nil-nil with Croatia and a win against Belgium or Canada should take them through to the round of 16. You know what, Steve? I mean, we've talked about the Tunisia-Denmark game being a very eventful nil-nil draw. And I think this game between Morocco and Croatia was the exact opposite. Very uneventful, but nonetheless a decent result for the North Africans, drawing against the 2018 runners-up. Morocco, just like all other African teams last time out, well, they suffered a group stage exit. And following this result, I mean, they had to fancy their chances. The Atlas Lions, Steve, prior to this, hadn't won a World Cup match since beating Scotland 3-0, and that was back in 1998. Their next match won't be an easy one, not by a long shot. Belgium on Sunday. But if the large Arab presence in the stands is anything to go by during their games, then their fans shall definitely be present. Yes, hoping that Morocco can get to the knockout stage. Thanks, Ida. Next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, we head to Qatar and join Betty Yorson, who's our reporter in Ghana normally, but she's travelled to Qatar. And I asked Betty what the experience there has been like so far. I mean, it's been great experience. Immediately, I got to Qatar. Even if you sit in the Qatar Airways, they give you a taste of what you are going to feel in the country. And that is the food you are served has some sort of branding of the World Cup. And when you get to the country, everywhere in the airport is well-branded. Now, you enter the city and you know that these people have clearly prepared when they were given the hosting right in 2010. And it comes as no surprise that this is the most expensive World Cup ever because with this kind of branding, even fireworks, when you see fireworks, what comes out of it is maybe a player, 
a trophy. It's not just an ordinary fireworks. So all the branding has been top-notch. And talk of organization, where you are supposed to pass to take the Metro Mass and all that, everything is so organized that you have to go through the system. If you don't go through, you can't get to your destination. So I think, you know, it's it's been quite an interesting journey so far. One thing that really interests me is if it wasn't on the, the opening ceremony day that I went to the stadium to witness the game, I had not seen a Qatari yet since I got to the country. And that's because the Qatari are not too many. And so people you get to meet more are the foreigners, are the Indians, the Bangladesh, the Sri Lanka. So they are the ones that you are more exposed to. You hardly see a Qatari in this country. And now talk of, I mean, hotel prices. It's, it's been crazy since I came. I mean, when I came, I had I was lodging in a $55 per night room. And then the following day, it just shot up to $280 that same day, I was trying to see if I can get the lowest or the cheapest um, hotel to rent. And it was just moving up, 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 up. And with transport, it's also been crazy. So the only good thing is they have provided a higher card, which you will use to take um, trains and buses for free. If not, and you take Ubers and the other taxi system, you end up running on low cash, no matter how much you bring to this city. But I understand that most of the visitors are lodging in the neighboring countries like Abu Dhabi, Dubai, because when you are in town, you don't see a lot of people in town. I mean, this is the World Cup. And so you should see so many people, so many visitors, especially on the opening ceremony day. On my way to the stadium, I was expecting a traffic on the road, but I, I was not seeing that. So I, I, I had to ask more about it and I was told, oh, there are lots of visitors who are still coming, but most of them prefer because of the perception that they had that if you are coming here, you can wear short dresses, you can rent a room with someone and all of that. So many people decided to live in other cities that they can get access. So Dubai is closer. I mean, um, Abu Dhabi is closer. So those neighboring um, places, that is where they decide to rent. But with those perceptions, some are very wrong. So I was told when you come here, you can't um, share a room with another person, which is not true. And your dressing is also not a problem. You, you, as a woman or as a man, you can decide to dress anyhow you want to be dressed. You don't need to wear long dresses or wear long trousers because you are in Qatar. And there was a perception that you can't drink beer in the country. It's only at the stadium that you can drink. But I've been to a lot of bars here. And the beers are served. Alcoholic beverages are served. So I think they've really relaxed most of their rules. The only one that they are bent on ensuring that it is not relaxed is, I mean, they are, they are gender against LGBTQ, which they are very strong on that. But aside that, the other rules are very, very relaxed here. Well, it's really interesting insights there, Betty. And um, tell us about the match day experience, uh, games that you've been to already. Yeah, so I, I went to the opening ceremony. That was um, Qatar against um, Iran. I've been to um, the England um, game. I've also watched the Senegal against Netherlands. And I must say that um, the Senegal against Netherlands, it's been amazing so far. When you go there, pe- people have been complaining about the ticket prices. But I think with the ticket prices, aside the Qatar and Iran game or Qatar games, which are quite very expensive, the other games are not too expensive. They are 
but not too expensive that most people can't afford. And also the Qatar um, government, they've put together these fun festivals which are free to attend. And so when you don't have the money to purchase a ticket to go to the stadium, you go to these fun festivals where you can watch the, the matches on the screen. But I mean, I've been to the stadium and with the Senegal game, I mean, you, you know how Africans, we are portraying our culture, a cultural day for the Senegalese at the stadium, dancing and drumming and cheering and for the England team, the English people too were very, very in for the game. I mean, there were lots of supporters of them at the stadium. And so it's been amazing so far at the various, um, I mean, venues where the matches have been played. But I will say that the Argentina-Saudi Arabia game has recorded the highest number of spectatorships so far. So uh, in a tournament like this, it's normally important for the hosts to uh, stay in uh, for uh, quite some way uh, before they get knocked out. But um, what about this time around? You said you haven't seen many Qataris actually there. Uh, If a Qatar do go out at the group stage, uh, how do you think it might affect the tournament? Well, Steve, surprisingly... At the, at the stadium, our, our stadium where the opening ceremony or the opening game was played. After they lost, I was actually looking for some disappointment on the faces of the few that came there. I mean, the Qataris that came there. And it was just the moment of the um, sadness. But after they were so cool, I think they, they know themselves that they are not a footballing nation. And so they are not expecting much. What they are much more concern about is a PR aspect of the tournament, not on the field activities. So what kind of videos are going there? When they are in the stadium, they are taking some videos and all that posting on social media. So they weren't so worried about the fact that they didn't win their game. And even when they played against Ecuador, Ecuador was, after the game, they actually turned the stadium into a concert. It was a, a whole party that night. And most of the Qataris joined in that party. I mean, they, they were not too sad. They were not bothered that they didn't win their first game. And I, that clearly tells you that they, they are just interested in hosting the rest of the world and also putting in a positive image out there. That's more of the PR works and not about how they perform on the field because they clearly know that when it comes to football, I mean, there are some powerhouses they can't face. I mean, it, it will be difficult for them to even qualify out of their group stage. So they don't have so much hopes. And you, you, when you go to town and you speak to most of the residents, I mean, the Indians and other stuff, they are the ones supporting the Qataris more. So you ask yourself, okay, so what if the Qataris are knocked out? Are we still going to get a um, great number of the indigents at the stadium? Yes, because we have a lot of foreigners here who have spoken to a number of them, and most of them have gotten like four tickets, um, three tickets, five tickets. So they are the ones going to fill the stadium. I was speaking there to Betty Yorson in Qatar. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart, on why there's so much stoppage time in these World Cup games. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. And our website is planetsport.tv. There you can read Russ Bravo's blogs on the World Cup. That's in the blog section on our website, planetsport.tv. 
Let's go to social media now. We're asking for your thoughts at any time throughout the World Cup. You can hit us up on Facebook or on WhatsApp and tell us what you think about how the tournament is going and give us your views, give us your comments on the controversies and on the talking points. Uh, first up in Uganda, Rogers are very impressed with France after their 4-1 win over Australia in their opener. Uh, Rogers saying, I'm going for France. Their attacking force is superb. Noir Ebube in Nigeria says, I'm going for the German machine to lift the World Cup, although his message was sent before they lost to Japan in their opener. Uh, having said that, there is time to recover. In the Gambia, Sideko Suno says, my take is that it's uh, going well with some interesting games so far in Qatar. Saudi Arabia have impressed me a lot with that wonderful performance against Argentina. Uh, Senegal played well against the Netherlands, but they only lacked the goal machine, Sadio Mane, that really affects their front line, says Sideko. Uh, Kamzu Kamal is in Kenya. Kamzu says we're standing with our African teams. And a Tiger Dax in Liberia says Portugal will win the World Cup. And finally, Belong Baji in the Gambia says, I'm impressed by the Netherlands. They move well and defend well. They're strong and their tactics seem to work. Uh, for the African teams, they need to do more when it comes to scoring to prevail as they are carrying the hopes of the continent, says Belong. Well, thanks so much for all of those comments. You can uh, get in touch, as I say, any time throughout the World Cup. Send your comments uh, on the matches, on the talking points, on the controversies. Uh, you can post it on our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five. 232780 as we share the World Cup experience together here on Planet Sport Football Africa. Now, England made a great start to the tournament, beating Iran 6-2 with Arsenal's Bukayo Saka scoring twice. Now, Saka was born in London in England to Nigerian parents, and he showed his Nigerian roots recently as he teamed up with a charity to fund 120 life-changing operations for children in Kano in northern Nigeria. Osaka is a follower of Jesus, and in a recent YouTube video, he stressed the importance of his faith and how it gives him strength and direction during the highs and lows of being a professional footballer. This is my my Bible. Um, it was a gift from my dad. It's really special to me. I try to read it every night before I go to bed. I've learned a lot from it, still reading it all the time. So, yeah, it's important for me. Religion's a big part of my life. I'd say I'm a strong believer in God. Reading this Bible all the time helps me to learn more and more about God. I normally memorise the messages and what it means and try and take it into my life. That's Bukayo Saka on his faith. More on this story on our website, planetsport.tv. You can read our blog there with Russ Bravo. So that's in the blog section on our website, planetsport.tv. Well, now let's go to Stuart Weir, who's following the World Cup uh, from the UK. And uh, one puzzling thing, uh, Stuart, is the huge amount of stoppage time that we're getting in the games. Uh, why is that? Well, the England game against Iran had the longest first half in World Cup history. Records have been kept for 50 years. And at the end of the first half, there was 14 minutes and 8 seconds. And then at the end of the second half, 13 minutes, 6 seconds. Uh, Netherlands against Senegal, Wales against USA, more than 10 minutes stoppage at the end of the second half. 
And if you put that in context, during the 1966 World Cup, the average stoppage time per game was 1 minute 12 seconds. But we understand that referees, as part of their briefing for the World Cup, have been told to add on time for goal celebrations, for substitutions, for VAR decisions, and, this is a great one, Steve, if an official believes that a player is wasting time. Concern has been expressed by FIFPRO, the International Players' Union, about players being asked to play 10 or 15 minutes extra beyond 90 in a tournament where they are potentially playing two or three times a week. Now, interestingly, earlier this year, the International Football Association Board, which monitors the laws of the game, had a proposal before it that football should reduce from 45 to 30 minutes per half, but with the clock stopping when the ball was out of play, like in basketball. But the board rejected that proposal. So we are in the situation that it's really quite arbitrary how much time the referee and the fourth official decide to add on. So we'll see if any of this will continue uh, elsewhere after the World Cup then. Um, Another difference, Stuart, the VAR. It uh, looks different. We're seeing these computer-generated graphics uh, on the screen. Steve, in response to some of the controversies before the World Cup, FIFA made a plea for people to talk about football and not about other issues. So here we are. Less than a week into the World Cup, and we're talking not about football, but about VAR. Yes, the graphics are different, but the frustration is the same. Now, I explained before the World Cup how offside is being monitored by a semi-automatic fashion, as they call it, with cameras tracking the movement of each player and the ball, sending data to a computer which alerts the referee, and I quoted the referees committee chairman, Pierluigi Colina, that the new system would be more accurate and quicker. So we are three minutes into the first game in the World Cup and Ecuador put the ball in the net and we then wait for three minutes for VAR to disallow it. Technically the correct decision, but one of those really unsatisfactory marginal decisions when the goal scorer's foot was in an offside position and the rest of his body was not. And Steve, if you want an opinion on VAR, I wouldn't ask the Argentinian team. Because during their game, which they lost to Saudi Arabia, within a space of 12 minutes, Argentina had the ball in the net three times, all of them disallowed for offside. One of them with VAR overruling the referee because Martinez's left arm, his left arm, was in an offside position. (laughs) Yeah, so many controversies uh, with the VAR. Um, Let's look at the football a bit then, uh, Stuart. So uh, uh, Portugal's Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the players that people are really looking forward to watching at this World Cup. Uh, But he won't be going back to Manchester United after the tournament. No, before leaving England uh, for the World Cup, Ronaldo gave a TV interview in which he criticised Manchester United, and specifically he criticised Eric Ten Hag, saying that he had been disrespected at Manchester United. And within a week, Manchester United announced that Ronaldo had left the club with the player's agent and the club agreeing to cancel the contract, meaning that Ronaldo is now free to sign for another club, 
provided he can find one, which is prepared to pay him what he expects. But interestingly, Manchester United now do not have to pay up his contract, and that was estimated to be worth $20 million. And another thing is that when he gets another club, he will start with a two-match suspension because he knocked a phone out of a fan's hand at a Manchester United game to prevent a photograph being taken. Now, last season, Ronaldo scored 18 league goals in 27 starts, but under Ten Hag, he's only started four times in the league this season. Then there was his refusal to come on as a substitute in the dying minutes, saying that stars don't come on for five minutes at the end of a game, and then the time when he left before the end of a game. His Manchester United career, 236 league games, 103 goals, but what a sad and acrimonious end to Ronaldo's second spell at Manchester United. And see, uh, another piece of news for you, the Glazers are apparently open to selling Manchester United with offers above $7 billion, please. And Liverpool's owners are also said to be open to, to offers in the club. So two of England's biggest clubs up for sale at the moment. Wow, so we'll see what happens there. We'll see what kind of a World Cup Ronaldo is going to have as well. And uh, what else have you got for us uh, from the World Cup, Stuart? We, we talked about how in Qatar all the stadiums are quite close to each other and it would be possible for a fan to watch more than one game. Well, the British journalist Matt Dickinson attended four games last Tuesday. He started off at 1pm Argentina against Saudi Arabia, 4 p.m. Denmark, Tunisia, 7 p.m. he was at Mexico, Poland, and he finished his day watching France playing Australia at 10 p.m. Now, I thought that was pretty good until I heard about Mr. Thugden, who has a YouTube channel, and he is, believe it or not, attempting to watch all 64 games live in the stadium. Now, I read that there are 830 players in the World Cup squads who are playing for a country which is not the country of their birth. For example, Morocco have 14, Senegal 12, Tunisia 12, Cameroon 9 and Ghana 8 players not born in the country. 10 of the Tunisian squad were born in France, as were 9 of the Senegal and 8 of the Cameroon. Eight of the Moroccan squad were born in either Belgium or Netherlands. And Steve, there's a certain irony that I'm telling you this, with Cameroon losing their first game in the World Cup to Switzerland 1-0, with Breel Mbolo scoring for Switzerland, and he was born in Cameroon. But it's quite an interesting statistic, and the contrast with Saudi Arabia, where not only were all their players born in the country, but they still play for a club in Saudi Arabia. Now, Steve, we really love it when a big team is beaten by a small team. In England, we call a giant killing. And we've already seen Saudi Arabia beat Argentina 2-1 and Japan beat Germany by the same score. This made me think back to some of the great upsets from the past. Remember 1982, Algeria beating West Germany 2-1? Or Cameroon beating Argentina, the defending champions, in 1990? And again, France, the defending champions in 2002, beaten by Senegal. 
But it seems interesting that some countries are more susceptible to giant killing than others. I mean, Argentina lost to Saudi Arabia, having previously been beaten by Cameroon. Germany lost to Japan, and in previous years they've lost to uh, South Korea and Bulgaria. Steve, you could call this World Cup the year of fast comebacks, with Saudi Arabia, France and Japan going 1-0 down, and then each scoring two goals to take the lead within the next eight minutes. It seems, Steve, that being champions of your continent doesn't help a lot, because Senegal, Argentina and Qatar, continental champions, all lost their opening game. The United States drew, while European champions Italy didn't qualify, uh, nor did New Zealand. So it doesn't seem to matter a lot that you're the champions of your continent. Now, the most experienced team in the World Cup is Belgium, who have got six players who've played more than a 100 times for their country. Jan Vertonghen, well-known in the Premier League, has played 142 times. And the other centurions are Axel Witzel, Toby Alderweireld, Eden Hazard, Dries Mertens and Romelu Lukaku. And Thibaut Courtois is on 97. And so he could make it to 100. And he is the officially the best goalkeeper in the world, according to FIFA. And he did the business saving a penalty against Canada. Well, good stuff from Courtois. Thanks a lot, Stuart. That's it for the show for this week. Big games at the World Cup this weekend include Tunisia, Australia on Saturday. Tunisia likely to go to the round of 16 if they can win. Spain, Germany on Sunday. And Ghana, South Korea on Monday could be an exciting one. Well, from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Betty Yawson in Qatar, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi and Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.